If you'll turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18, thank you for being here today. Um, I, I want to tell you right off the top that ministry is not about numbers, uh, it's about people, amen, but numbers represent people, and uh, today is a uh, six-month high for attendance, uh, so I'm grateful for that, glad, glad that you're here, and uh, so I'm, I'm always uh, appreciative of those that make time, I think it'll, it honors the Lord and it'll help you. <clears throat> read a story about a man who was bitten by a stray dog who they found had rabies. And uh, his friend, having heard about what happened, went to see him and, and uh, went to check out how he was doing. And when he came, he found him sitting at a desk and writing furiously what he presumed was his final will and testament. And uh, his friend said, now, he said, Chuck, it's not that, you know, I know rabies, nobody wants it, but it can be treated. It's not that big of a deal. You don't have to write out your will. And he says, will? What will? I'm making a list of people I want to bite. Now, how many of you could make a list today of people you want to bite? I'm glad. That means I got somebody to preach to today, all right? I want to give you a better way, an excellent passage found in Matthew chapter number 18. Uh, please turn me down a little bit, getting a reverberation here. Matthew 18, and we're going to start reading at verse number 21. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. But, so, but for so much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and his children and all that they had so payment would be made. Now this was a very real thing. If you could not pay a debt, you could be sent to debtor's prison for it. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went to cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. I want to talk to you today for a few minutes since we're talking about growing, growth in forgiveness. Growth in forgiveness. Father, I pray you'd help us as we take these next few minutes and do a heart examination for each and every one of us. Help us to learn something that'll be a, even an immediate assistance to our living, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, to set up this parable, I want to take a look at the question that prompted it. The reason Jesus told this story is because Peter prompted it with a question. He asked, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? So somebody had come along and wronged Peter, and he forgave them. They wronged him again, and he forgave them again. He wronged him again yet uh, a third time, and Peter forgave them again. And so he comes to Jesus with a question that every one of us can understand. How often do they have to wrong me and I forgive them? Essentially, the unspoken thing before, I don't have to take it anymore. How much guff do I have to take till I can finally give them a knuckle sandwich? How many times, Peter said? Seven times? Now, to give you a little background here, Peter here, uh, you have to understand culturally, in that day, the rabbis said that you forgave three times and you were done. Somebody wronged you three times the same way, and you forgave them three times. After that, you didn't have to forgive them anymore. Now you could take it out on and make them pay for it or do whatever you wanted to do. And so Peter thinks, Jesus is going to be really proud of me. 
because I'm coming to him, I'm going to double the normal requirement, add one, plus seven's a number of completion, seven's a perfect number, right? And so how many times, Jesus? Seven times. Jesus is going to be proud of me. What was Jesus' response? Uh, look at what he says. I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Peter had his heart right here, but his attitude is wrong. He wanted to put a legal limit on forgiveness. It's understandable, isn't it? How many times do I have to forgive until I can finally say, okay, no more Mr. Nice Guy. Now I'm getting back at you. How many times? It's a question we can understand. And so he's asking here what the limit is. And Jesus says, not seven times, Peter. Not double the expect expectation and add one. But I say 70 times seven. That thump you hear is Peter's jaw hitting the floor. 70 times seven? 490 times? Now this verse is not so much about keeping count, obviously. This verse is about developing in our hearts a forgiving spirit. I just want to talk to you about today. Why do we need a forgiving spirit? Now the parable that followed here, Peter's question was all about having a forgiving spirit. It talks about a king who had some servants and he was settling accounts with his servants and he comes across one servant that the Bible says owed him 10,000 talents. Now, it's a little hard when you look at Bible language for money in today's and try to translate it in today's money, but let's give it a shot here. The average person made about a talent to a talent and a half a year at that time. Now, he owed him 10,000 talents. So if we take today, and we can even go a little lower than the average in Brookings anyway, and say $30,000, if we make that kind of an income for a regular person today, $30,000, and take that times 10,000. I don't like math. We've already discussed this before. Not a fan of math, but even I can do that. That's 300 million. He owed, let's just agree, it was a lot of money that he owed. A lot of money that this man owed, and he could not pay it. Now, he wasn't just the cook, I assume. Even Whole Foods, you couldn't run up a tab like that. Uh, this was somebody important. Probably, uh, I, I, if I had to guess, he probably ruled over a province or something or some kind of government official. And through gross mismanagement, somehow he had squandered the enormous sum of, we can say, 300 million. We just know it was a huge sum of money. How does one do that? He might have had six daughters, but I digress, I digress there. Um, I know that is a way to, to get yourself into a deep hole. Uh, when he was called to the carpet... What does he say? Look at what he says. Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And here's the shocking thing. The king forgives him. Forgives him. Now, what does the word patience mean in that question? The Greek word is a compound word. Uh, it's the word makrothomia. That's the original word that's translated to patience. The word makro means long, and the word thomio has to do with a boiling feeling. And so this introduces a metaphor into there uh, that with, <clears throat> with most metals. You know, you have to add quite a bit of heat before you can change its shape. Uh, you add enough heat, though, and it can, it basically becomes a liquid and you can change its shape. So, macrothemio speaks of an inner peace that can take much injury and much abuse before you have a meltdown. That's essentially what that word means. Patience. In other words, things may happen to you, but they don't destroy your inner poise. Uh, they don't control you. You are not made and controlled and being shaped by what's being done to you. Here, uh, heat comes on, but you do not melt down. That's the idea of this word patience here. Offenses comes. 
uh, will come. Sufferings will come. I mean, suffering happens to you with or without your permission. Have you noticed that? It doesn't ask you permission or let you know I'm showing up. It just shows up whether or not you decide on it not. So to be suffering takes no choice. But friend, to be long-suffering takes an absolute choice, a decision of the will. To be suffering is to be passive, but to be long-suffering is to be active. It is a decision to take your life back. Like it says in Luke 21, 19, in your patience possess ye your soul. Now remember that phrase, we're going to use it several times throughout this message. Possess ye your soul. Let me In this parable here, Jesus is talking about a forgiving spirit. Now, let me tell you why we need this so much today, this parable right here. Now, I'm a little psycho, this, a psychic this morning, so I can tell you what you're thinking, because we're human, and I do the same thing. We all do the same. When the preacher says, let me talk to you today about how you can develop a forgiving spirit, how you can uh, ha- learn the ability to bear injuries, mistreatment, without letting it control you, without having a meltdown, here's how not to be bitter. A lot of times when we hear an introduction like that, Maybe even for many in this room, we think, well, that's not a problem for me. I'm not bitter with anybody. Now, I will, though, after the service, uh, take the link for the YouTube video for this service and email that to a couple people who I know could really use this message. But I'm not bitter, and I'm not struggling with this uh, in my own heart. Well, before you shut me down, let me give you a verse here that's very important. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. It's our memory verse for this week, so it's in your bulletin. <coughs> Looking diligently... Lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. The word bitterness there, uh, the original word means, our English word, bitterness. So it's pretty obvious. Uh, A bitter hatred is what that means. Now here's an interesting metaphor that this verse gives us then. Why is bitterness called a root? Calls it a, uh, refers to it as that root of bitterness. That is in each and every one of us. Well, there's two reasons, I believe. Number one, it's a great metaphor. Uh, Imagine you have a tree in the front yard, and you want to remove that tree. And so you go out, you cut down the tree, you you take a stump, something or other, or whatever they call it, and you you uproot the stump, and uh, you cover it up with dirt again, and you seed it with grass, and there you look at it now, it's done, and the tree is gone. Except it's not really gone. Part of it is still there. Those roots will be springing up. On our home in First Street uh, that we lived in for a few years, every, there was a patch in our yard. It looked, everything looked fine except uh, certain times of the summer, a whole bunch of mushrooms would grow up in a concentrated patch in our yard. Well, one day I was on Google Earth, and I like to look sometimes at different things, and I punched our address in, and, and uh, you know, you get your view of your top of your house, and then you have the street view, and when I clicked on the street view, sure enough, there's a big old giant tree. All I knew is that mushrooms came up. They were not edible mushrooms, because I fed some to the neighbor's cat, and I never saw it again, Uh, and I'm I'm just kidding. I wouldn't feed a cat, Uh, but I looked at that, and I see there's a tree there. Now, the tree was gone. Don't miss this, but the roots are still there, and they still show themselves once in a while, so it's a great metaphor. Secondly, it shows us that bitterness really is below the surface. It's interesting, interesting in our life, what we will admit to ourselves and others. How about just using worry and anxiety? You have no problem telling others and admitting to yourself 
that you might be filled with worry about something, even though Jesus said that it's a sin to worry. Uh, Here's something that I'm hearing more and more lately about anxiety. The term mental health day. guys familiar with that term? I can't come to work today because I'm taking a mental health day. Makes me shake my head. When I was growing up, I had to milk cows every morning. Uh, I had my sister and my mom and I, we milked 10, 15, depending on what time of the life it was. Uh, We we milked cows every morning. I had a milk machine. It's right here, right here. This was my milk machine. This is what we used. We milked them by hand. And so I had to do that every morning. I had to get up at 5.30, 6 o'clock. We had to go out and milk the cows before uh, we went to school and did whatever else we did. And I was thinking about this the other day when I heard about yet another person who had pulled this with their job, wondering what would have happened when Dad yelled up the stairs, it's time to get up. I said, Dad, I need a mental health day today. What would have, what would have happened to you when you were a kid? I don't know, maybe your dad was kind of like mine. I would have needed a physical health day after that would, if I'd have said that. But we have no problem telling people today I have a lot of anxiety. I'm filled with anxiety. But we don't like to admit bitterness. When's the last time you had somebody tell me, yes, I just said that because I'm so full of bitterness? <laughs> or I did that because I'm just really bitter. People don't typically admit bitterness. We hide it from ourselves. We hide it from others. We minimize it in our life. And so like a root, it works in our heart in a kind of subterranean way. It's underneath. And the Bible says to be careful lest it rise up. Um, It's down there. And maybe, friend, maybe you don't even know how much it's affecting you. How does it affect you? Somebody says, I've been deeply hurt by my parents. Been very angry at my parents for many, many years. But you know, it has not affected my approach to authority. Really? Or you might say, yes, I was greatly betrayed by that person, but it hasn't affected the way I relate to people. Is that so? Maybe it affects us more than we think. See, we always minimize how angry we continue to be in our life. Now, how that, uh, when somebody really hurts us and the anger from what happened, it'll mark you, friend, if you're not careful. It makes you cynical. It makes you hard. It fills you with all sorts of prejudices that you can't see. It inflicts a kind of spiritual fever of self-pity that goes on and on and on. You might say, I'm over it. I'm done. It's not bothering me anymore. But the Bible says, yeah, 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 right. But take care lest any root of bitterness spring up and trouble you. Look at the way this parable ends. At the very end, we see Jesus tells about this king. And the king says, since you have not forgiven your, uh, your servant, your fellow servant, into prison with you. Notice what it says. The Bible says he delivered him to the tormentors. Now, let's stop for a second. This is the good guy, the king. He's a representation of God. How does Jesus tell a parable in which it ends up that the person is, uh, that Jesus basically, who's pictured here, God, which is pictured, is torturing the man? Well, you have to look at these parables as teaching. He's always using them to teach a principle. And I believe that this clearly tells us, friend, if you do not learn how to forgive, if you do not learn how to keep your anger uh, when you're mistreated from being buried within you, if you don't learn how to stop hating, there's going to be torment in your life. There's going to be misery in your life. It's going to be like you're in prison. You are not living a free life. You won't be living in peace. That's why this is so important. We have to have a forgiving spirit. What is a forgiving spirit? Well, the king does three things in here because we look at, you know, you might look at your problems or look at what's happened and how do I go about forgiving? What does it look like? 
Well, it's laid out really clearly in this passage. This will be a help to you because the king does three things we need to do uh, in our situations as well. Well, when you're wronged, when you're snubbed, or when you're hurt. And I'm not just talking about big things that happen periodically in your life where someone really, really hurts you. I'm talking about the everyday humiliations, the mistreatments. Those things can pass into your life as well. There'll be little roots of bitterness, anger, self-pity, cynicism toward other people. And it will affect you unless you have this forgiving spirit. Here's what he did, the king did, in three parts. Number one, I want you to notice, he canceled the debt. The first aspect of a forgiving spirit is you don't take revenge. The king canceled the debt. The premise of the point here is, and don't miss this, when somebody wrongs you, it creates within you an emotional debt. You feel like they owe you now. They've, They've taken something from you. It's a debt that you feel a sense of obligation from the person that owes you because of what they did. Uh, Somebody has wronged you. There's a debt. There's emotional pain. It has to be paid down. It does not just go away. Now you say, what do you mean by being paid down? Well, there's two, two ways you can pay down a debt, an emotional debt. What most people do is they make the other person pay. I don't get mad. I get even. You ever heard that before? That's making the other person pay. A dejected woman was walking along a beach when she saw a bottle on the sand. She picked it up and pulled out a cork, and you know what happened. <laughs> there comes a genie. That's what happens. You uh, have released me from my prison, said the genie. To show my thanks, I want to grant you three wishes. But take care, he said, because everything you wish for, your husband gets twice of what you wish for. She was really upset at that. She says, that bum just left me for another woman. Why should he get anything from this. And the genie says that's the rules. Genie rules evidently are very stringent. So this woman first thinks about it and then asks for a million dollars and flash a light and there's a million dollars laying at her. This is just a story, by the way. This isn't a true account, just so you know. million dollars laying at her feet. Meanwhile, in a long, faraway distance, her husband shockingly sees two million dollars sitting at his feet. She thinks a little bit and says, I would like to have the world's most expensive diamond necklace. And Instantly, flash of light, poof, there was a diamond necklace in her hand. Meanwhile, in a faraway place, here's her husband has a diamond necklace in each hand. Now, she asks the genie again, do you mean to tell me that whatever I've wished for, my husband now has twice of what I asked for? And he says, yes, that's true. So she takes a deep breath, and for her final wish, she says not to the genie, I want you to beat me half to death. There's all sorts of ways to make the other person pay. Amen? You can insult them. You can scorn them. You can withdraw your friendship from them. You can try to hurt them professionally. There's more indirect ways you can do it. You can gossip about them. You can try to do things behind their back or or try to uh, ruin their reputation with other people. Now, why would we do this? Why would we do that? Well, again, I say this seems like every Sunday, but it's something we need to do. Let's be honest, okay? There's just us here. We can be honest with each other today. We kind of like it when other people get hurt, especially those that hurt us. In fact, um, we, when others are inflicted with pain, sometimes it makes me feel better inside. You can admit that. That's just how we're built. We're built competitively like that. I'm paying down my debt with their misery. Who's hurt me because he's hurt me? Now I'm paying down my debt with their misery. That's how we do it. And the more I see them squirm, the more I see them hurt, the better I feel. 
In fact, I don't even have to do it. Somebody else can do it to them. And it still makes me feel better to see them hurt. <clears throat> There's a part of us that likes to see others in a tough spot. And again, being psychic, I know what some of you are thinking. As you sit there and you adjust your halo, not me, I don't have these thoughts at all. Let me prove it with a little scenario. You're driving down the highway and it's clear. It's smooth sailing. Nothing in your way, very few cars out, beautiful day, and you're just flying down the road. Isn't, isn't 80 miles an hour great, by the way, South Dakota? You're flying down the road. On the other side, going the opposite direction, there's a tremendous traffic jam. And they're backed up for miles. You feel a little good about that. Isn't that the best feeling in the world? Ha! I can slow up. I can slow down. I can speed up. I can drive in this lane. I can drive in this lane. No problem. You're watching them because they're suffering, but not you. Everything's going wonderful. It gets even better after you get to the end of that traffic jam and you're driving along and there's cars flying by you and you're thinking, you have no idea what you're in for, buddy. You get over that hill on top, you are in big, big trouble. There's something about when we see other people in a tight spot. I have to get that pain debt down by seeing others suffer. It works in a sense that slowly you feel less and less of your pain debt. You feel better after a while, but here's the problem. It passes into you. It has melted you into its likeness. It make, if you make the other person pay, then you are changing. It's controlling you. I know that some of you might know exactly what I'm talking about. Let me give you an illustration. I'm thinking of a man right now <coughs> whose life has been a mess for years and years and years. He's been married four times, and he's a, he abandoned his first family when his three children were very little. His whole life has been affected by a terrible relationship he had with his father. And he's right. His dad treated him dreadfully. Years of emotional abuse. And in moments of his self-indulgence, no doubt he has thought many times, I'll show him. Oh, really? He's being utterly controlled by what his father has done to him. He's not looking at his life in light of good and what is right. He thinks, I'm beating my father, when in truth, he's being beaten by his father. He's done many things to try to make the father pay, but in the process, has become the very thing he hates. That's what happens. It melts us into its likeness. We never want to admit it, but when we make the other person pay the debt, we become like the evil that was done to us. It's passing into us. It's molding us into its likeness. It is creating self-pity. It's distorting the way we look at things. It's rooting itself into you. And the Bible says, be careful that that root of bitterness that's in us does not spring up troubling you. The one thing that you can do with a debt is you can make them pay for it. And it works, sort of, but it'll change you. The other thing you can do is cancel it. That's what this king did. He canceled it. Pay it down yourself. Absorb it. Did you notice when the king canceled the debt, it didn't just go off into thin air. This, uh, he absorbed it. He took the loss. Did it hurt? Yes, it hurt. Of course it did that much money. But you do not go this route because it is easy. It's going to be hard to do this. The debt will not ever go away just by ignoring it. You pay it down. How do you do that? Well, every time you want to rub their noses in it, but don't. It hurts a little bit. Every time you want to be cold to them, but instead you are kind, it hurts a little bit. Every time you have a chance to run them down to somebody else and you don't, that hurts. It costs you something to pay the debt down yourself. It costs something not to take revenge. You are making the payments, but you are paying it down. Here's what I don't want you to miss. It's true that the emotional debt 
uh, the pain never goes away. Uh, I mean, sorry, it does go away if you make them pay. And you may feel better in the moment, but you've been warped. You become what has been done to you. In other words, if you don't go the revenge route, it might take days, it might take weeks, it might take months. But here's what's interesting. When you pay the debt down, when you absorb it, when you refuse revenge, it goes away. And when it does, you are free. You're free. There's no, there, there's no being under it anymore. Oh, it hurts for a while. It's not easy. It's hard to do, but you're free. It hasn't taken you out. It hasn't misshapen you. You still have your soul. You're a free man or a free woman because you've forgiven. What's that phrase? I like it so much. When you forgive, you set two people free and one of them is yourself. You're free with a forgiving spirit. Your father, your mother, your boss, the other person, uh, you've, you've, uh, you've beaten them and you've beaten them with love. The only way to beat anyone. Amen. There's no revenge so complete as forgiveness. So the first aspect of a forgiving spirit, you do not make them pay the emotional debt of pain, you pay it yourself. The second thing it says here is that uh, not only he canceled it, but we see the Bible that says he was moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. He took pity on this man. Now, whenever someone wrongs you, automatically I'll tell you what your heart is going to do. Your heart, don't miss this, is going to emphasize the differences between you and that other person. You're going to emphasize in which way you're better and they're worse. If you want to have a forgiving spirit, if you want to possess your soul, if you want that inner power to bear injuries without a meltdown, what you have to do is emphasize the commonalities between you and that person, not the differences. Now, what do I mean by that? Whenever someone wrongs you, you create in your mind... A caricature. What is a caricature? A caricature is something that, uh, you might have seen them at fairs. I actually have one here. That is what's called a caricature. There's no need to laugh. This is a class, all right? Uh, what a caricature is, is an artist will take the worst parts of the face or the body and accentuate them to magnify them to make somebody look silly, stupid, or ridiculous. Think Obama's ears, Trump's hair, Nixon's scowl. You've seen all those caricatures out there. Takes the worst part and then tries to make a ridiculous looking face. Now when somebody wrongs you, friend, that's exactly what you do in your heart. You take the worst aspects of who they are, magnify them. And that's really, in fact, you see them in a one-dimensional way. Uh, you, you see only what's done to you. You see them as one-dimensional. But here's where it gets fascinating. Don't miss this too. You take the worst characteristics of that person and you reduce them to what they've done to you. You see them as one-dimensional. But here is where it gets fascinating here. We see others as one-dimensional, but we see ourselves in 3D. We see ourselves as multi-dimensional. Let me explain that a little further. When they lie, you only see them as a liar. That's what they are, a liar. When they betray you, then you see them as a betrayer. That's all they are. They're a caricature. You've built that. You've magnified their bad points. Now, when you lie, well, that's different. I mean, there's mitigating circumstance. Plus, 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 plus. I know I lied, but there's so much good that I've done too. And, and you see yourself as a whole person, 3D. You see yourself, uh, the yeah, you know you've got problems, but you see your, the good parts in yourself and, the, and not only the negative, but not that other person. That other person's a caricature. You only see them as a liar or a betrayer or whatever that is. Does that make sense? 
we need to start looking at, isn't it something how we have so much mercy for ourselves? We have so much mercy for us. We are our own most forgiving critic. So true that is. Then thirdly, here it says, he loosed him. He let him go. Here's a man. He says to the king, verse 26, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Here's what amazing, here's what's amazing, friend. Not only did he cancel the debt, but he let him go. He let him go. I mean, here is this huge debt. He gets released from it and the king lets him go. And I can't imagine how he must have felt after that. Whew, that debt, that debt's gone. That weight is lifted off his shoulders and he is walking out of the palace. He's probably got a little hip in his step and he comes over and then he sees someone who last week he lent him 20 bucks. The Bible says he grabs him by the throat, slams him up against the wall and demands that he pay him back that $20. Just stop and think here. He has just been, we, we use the not quite fictional, but guesstimation of 300 million he's been forgiven of. And he's not forgiven him for pennies. This man is a vindictive, violent, vicious man. Here's a man whose life has just been given back to him. And we see him going after somebody else. 20 bucks. Let me give you, finally, in closing here, the example. This king, as he looks at the servant who brought his very kingship in jeopardy, he has compassion. When we consider the magnitude of the debt, we would say as we look at that, no one does that. No one does that forgives a debt that large. But Jesus is pointing beyond this king to someone else. Uh, the giveaway in the phrase is the phrase here, moved with compassion. That Greek word that's translated moved with compassion is found in the New Testament 12 times. Every single time but this one, it's referring to Jesus Christ. And so it's his word in the New Testament, you could say, yet here it's used with this king. He shows compassion. But I want you to notice how awful it was for the servant to act like a king. Did you notice that? The king gives him uh, forgiveness and forgives all that debt. He walks out and he's walking out and he sees somebody who owes him pennies and he goes after him and all of a sudden he plays the part of a king, judge, executioner, and uh, jury, all that, and has him thrown in prison. That's a sad thing. What right does the servant have to be the king? Putting himself in the place of a judge. He has no right to do that, especially not in light of how he was just forgiven of. It's terrible. Jesus Christ, though, here's where it comes home, is showing us a mirror of what we're like when we're angry, when we're not forgiving, when we're bitter. We're like that servant. We're like him. We're not like, we don't like to put ourselves in such an ugly position as him, but that's exactly what we're like when we're angry. Uh, we're all like a servant acting like a king. Judge, jury, execution, making those decisions. What's the answer then? We have to behold the king who became a servant. The ultimate king, Jesus Christ, knowing that it would cost him all his glory and his power, he came to earth, he died on a cross. The last thing he said, the last words out of uh, Jesus' mouth before he died was telestetelestei, something like that. In John 19.30, it is translated, it is finished. When you look up the original word to that Hebrew, uh, the Greek word for that, one of its meanings is it is paid. Hallelujah. It's paid. Woo, that's a wonderful thing. Don't make a Methodist say amen, huh? It's paid. He finished it for us. He paid our debt. He canceled it. And, and uh, we, we, why don't we look when we are bothered by others and others hurt us and, 
Others wrong us and abuses come, and of course they do. Why can't we get a good look at what Jesus Christ has done for you? He didn't make you pay for any of it. Everyone knows that when someone has been wronged, there's a debt. Somebody has to pay it. Well, Jesus Christ paid your debt. A debt you could never pay on your own. It's $300 million. That's your debt. There's no way you could pay it. And He paid it all. Now put yourself in this story. You'll never be long-suffering unless you see Him suffering for you. You'll never be able to pay uh, what other people have done to you unless you see Him paying your uh, infinite debt. So change your heart. It'll help you grow when you get a glimpse of that. After all He has done for me, I can say now I'm glad for this opportunity to finally show Him how much He means to me by forgiving this person. It's the least I could do. Let me ask you, friend, today, are you struggling with bitterness? Are you struggling with unforgiveness? You have a king who did the same thing for you this king did for that servant. He canceled the debt. He had compassion on you. He set you free. You did the same thing that king did. That's what our King Jesus did for us. Now here you are walking along and rejoicing in all that's been canceled. Are you you're really going to go after 20 bucks? That's what we're doing when we're angry. It's what we're doing when we allow bitterness in our heart. You're going to hold on to anger because someone insulted you? That's 20 bucks. You've been forgiven for 300 million. Let's get our perspective right. Amen? Let's understand, we, I don't want to be this servant. Man, I read, I read that story, and I, every time I read that story, my blood boils inside of me. That How could somebody be that cruel and that vindictive? He's been forgiven all that. Goes out and he puts his hands around the throat of somebody that owes him just pennies. That's you and me, friend. That's you and me. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. <coughs> I don't know where this message found you today, friend, but I think every single one of us can improve in some area of this in our life. <coughs> Are you bitter today? Are you angry? Are you holding on to anything? Why don't you come and make that right today? There's an altar waiting for you. There's a Heavenly Father waiting for you too to make those things right. Let's everybody stand, eyes closed, heads down.